Good morning. Merry Christmas. Welcome. It's so good to see everyone here, especially our um, Tyson's brothers and sisters. Welcome to Great Commission Community Church and Merry Christmas. Um, today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent this year, the day before our Savior was born. Advent means coming or arrival, and we celebrate two Advents of Christ. The first one that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born, and the second Advent is the one we are still waiting for, when Jesus will arrive again to recreate everything and to make all things right. During this season, we have much gratitude for what he has done, and we also feel much anticipation for when he comes again. Our call to worship comes from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Please stand as you're able as we sing.
offering for Christ Jesus our Lord.
together. Um, I'll read some of the plain text, and then when it says all, um, I invite you to read with me. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. Amen. God, we come before you this morning. We adore you and we give you all the glory for you alone are worthy of it. Worthy of that glory. We will praise your name forever. You are good and faithful, God. You are Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, maker of heaven and earth. We come before you knowing that we are all born with and live together under a sin condition for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We confess that we are often divided, consumed by pride, idolatry, greed, racism, lust, violence, self-righteousness. Lord, forgive us. We confess we are in need of a savior where we can be justified freely and made right with you. 
We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to this earth to be our Savior, to live a perfect life, and to willingly give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, for being the atonement for our sins. Thank you for being Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for your grace and mercy that we together might live out your holy calling. We celebrate this Advent, the birth of your son, Jesus. And we also look forward to the second Advent, the day when you will come again to make all things right and to complete your kingdom. Until then, we ask for the strength of your Holy Spirit to help us to keep your commands, to live in truth, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Since we receive true peace from Christ, we do a proclamation that's really short every Sunday that we call passing the peace. We say to each other, the peace of Christ to you. And since it's Christmas, please turn to someone near you and say, Merry Christmas, the peace of Christ to you. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. It's, it's amazing having a, a full and packed house here. Uh, we especially welcome our Tyson's family uh, and all the, all the kids here with us, and we get to worship together. Uh, just a quick note, next week is also going to be a joint family service. And so it's going to be here again at 10, at 11, uh, oh, what, 11? 11, hey, I was confused, 11 a.m., at Doubletree. Uh, Tuesday prayer is canceled this week so that we can spend more time with our loved ones and family. Uh, the first Sunday in January, July, oh, January, July, January 7th, this is where I'm at today, this is where I'm at. Um, uh, here we're going to have the watch. Uh, so the watch uh, is an awesome time where we get together in person uh, and just spend time seeking the Lord, praising him, waiting on him, and interceding. Uh, and so uh, we would love to do that uh, as a family together, especially as we kick off the new year. Let's, let's seek the Holy Spirit together. Let's be filled with him and empowered together. So that's going to be January 7th. That's going to be 2 to 3.30 uh, here at the Double Tree. Uh, so it's going to be uh, right after Sunday service. Um, grab lunch. We welcome you to grab lunch. And then grab a light lunch, you know, so you don't fall asleep during that afternoon period. Uh, and then come back, and let's seek the Lord together. Uh, we have an awesome class coming. It's called Meditating Day and Night, uh, taught by our very own Pastor Erica. And so uh, she's going to teach a class on learning how to read the Bible better. Do you find reading the Bible dry, boring, or confusing? Join us for this fun and interactive class where we rediscover reading the Bible. We will explore reading the Bible as a grand narrative, understanding how key words and themes work in Scripture, and how meditating on God's Word is a daily opportunity to encounter Jesus himself. This class will meet on Zoom every other Sunday at night for three months. So if interested, you can find more info on our website. 
Uh, we have a quick update from our ministry partner in Cambodia, David Manfred. Uh, he sent us photos uh, and a little update on the clinic in Cambodia. And so he sent us this letter. It reads, I wanted to let you know that the Siambu Health Center has staff and have begun operations. I've attached some recent photos that Joyce took as she delivered some furniture to the clinic. We are tentatively planning a dedication for the morning of February 6th. I will be there, and I have invited Brittany in case she can get off work. Of course, any of you are invited as well, but I know that is not a small ask. Smiley face. Once again, we are so appreciate, appreciative of the fact that of your sacrificial giving from GCCC in partnering with us in this key project. Thanks for your ongoing partnership. Merry Christmas, Dave. So we just want to say thank you for your loving partnership to what God is doing uh, in Cambodia. Uh, for us, uh, this, is, this is time for end of year giving. If, if you or your family have been blessed uh, by our, our church and what we've been doing in the kingdom of God this year or in the past, um, we welcome you to prayerfully consider giving. Uh, you can find, uh, there's many different giving options. You can find it online. Uh, but if you can do that by December 31st, then that'll be postmarked for this current tax year. Uh, thank you in advance, uh, again, for those who have been giving this year for your generosity uh, and your partnership for what God is doing here locally in the Nova area, but also around the world, as we've seen in Cambodia. So thank you for your generosity and your partnership. Uh, our offering, we don't have a traditional time of offering or an offering box, uh, but we welcome you to uh, go back home uh, and then consider how to um, yeah, give uh, on our website. Uh, I'm going to be praying for our offering. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us, uh, especially in areas of, of finances and just material goods. And thank you that you have called us to steward these things, uh, not only just so that it would bless us, but that, God, that you call us to steward it so that we can bless those around us. God, we pray that you will continue to use our church to be a blessing to not only our neighbors, but to the nations. That, God, through these things, that our money, our material things, our time, that the nations would ultimately come to know you. They'd come to know you uh, as a God who cares for them, who loves them. And so, God, continue, God, to use our church as a blessing. God, we thank you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good? Okay. Uh, adults are terrible listeners as well. So kids, look at an adult and say, are you ready to listen? 
All right. Kids, if you see an adult not listening, you can elbow them. Okay? All right, cool. I'm going to open us up in prayer. Jesus, thank you that your word is always speaking. Your spirit is always speaking. We are so grateful that you are here today, Jesus, to meet with us, to spend time with us, and to speak to us from your word. We ask that as we look at the story of your birth, that you would be speaking to everyone in this room, telling us something new that you want to say, and inviting us to join you as we follow you. Amen. I'm going to read to us um, Jesus's birth story from the book of Matthew. We looked at it a little bit from the book of Luke. Matthew's the only other gospel that includes a story of Jesus's birth. So if you have a Bible or a device, um, I invite you to open up to Matthew 1. I will be reading beginning at verse 17. So then, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon and 14 from then to the birth of the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. His mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they were married, she found out that she was going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was a man who always did what was right. But he did not want to disgrace Mary publicly, so he made plans to break the engagement privately. While he was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, for it is by the Holy Spirit that she was conceived. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this happened in order to make come true what the Lord had said through the prophet. A virgin will become pregnant and have a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when Joseph woke up, he married Mary, as the angel of the Lord had told him to. But he had no sexual relations with her before she gave birth to her son, and Joseph named him Jesus. This passage opens with a genealogy. If we went back to the very beginning of Matthew 1, there would be a long list of names. But verse 17 kind of sums it up. There have been 42 generations since Abraham waiting for this Messiah, waiting and waiting and waiting. That's a long time to wait. And by the time Joseph comes on the scene, he has been waiting for a very specific kind of Messiah. Messiah means anointed king. It's the same thing that Christ means. So anytime you see any of those words in the Bible, it just means an anointed king. And Joseph and everybody around him at that time are waiting for a specific kind of Messiah. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Rome was taking the best of their land, the best of their property, the best of their goods, taxing them heavily, oppressing them heavily. Um, And they're basically just living like slaves in their own land. And so when they think about the Messiah, they had a very clear picture in mind of someone who would come like a warrior and kick out Rome. When they looked at the passages that we've looked at for the last few weeks from the prophets and they saw this mighty warrior coming in and and bringing justice and bringing peace, 
they were thinking about that within the context of Rome. That's the kind of Messiah they were waiting for. And Joseph is in this family line that the Messiah is supposed to come from, from David's line. And Joseph always does what was right. Um, many translations describe him as righteous. The Good News translation that I read from describes him as always doing what was right. So he's a good Jewish boy. And he has a fiance named Mary. Now, I don't want you to think that they've like met on Tinder and gone on a ton of dates and like maybe lived together for a while. It's a very different image than what we have in our minds when we think of somebody who might be engaged or dating. Um, sometimes I watch this Jewish matchmaking show on Netflix. Anyone? I'm not the only one. Okay. All right. It's really addicting. You learn a lot of Hebrew words, and it's a matchmaking show. It's like everything I love in one show. Um, and they were talking about this concept of Shomer Nagia, which means that when two people are betrothed or courting, they don't touch at all until they get married. And they show some couples who are practicing this, some couples that are not practicing this on the show. Um, but I think that's a better picture of what Mary and Joseph's courting relationship probably looked like than when we think of people dating. Um, they probably would have met, their families would have met as well, but they have not like kissed or held hands or done anything. Um, and their families have this legally binding contract that when they get married, there'll probably be some kind of exchange of property or goods or animals or something like that. Um, but this is a big deal. And even though they're not married, it's still a legal engagement. So if either person breaks this arrangement in any way, it will be seen as adultery. Um, Numbers and Leviticus describes that if um, one party were to break that um, arrangement in any way with unfaithfulness, that um, the husband could literally drag the woman into the temple courts and demand that she be stoned for her unfaithfulness. So this is a big deal at the time. Um, culturally to be engaged. It's very serious, very official. And Joseph has this relationship with Mary. But one day Mary comes to him and tells him that she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And we've heard this story a thousand times. So we're like, yeah, that's how the story goes. But think about it from Jace Joseph's perspective. If your fiance just comes and tells you that one day, you will probably not believe her. Um, and Joseph knows the baby isn't his, so right away he's probably thinking, okay, this girl cannot be trusted. She's not maybe the woman I thought she was. Maybe she's not from a really good family like I thought. I, I got to get out of this. Um, he's afraid. He's worried about his reputation. Um, and so he comes up with a plan to fix this very messy situation. Fear often leads to disobedience, and so Joseph has to think through, okay, I... I I know I can drag her into the temple courts legally, um, but that, that sounds crazy. Maybe I'll just, like, divorce her quietly. That way it's clear to everyone, like, that I'm not affiliated with her and her behavior. That baby's not mine, but in a way that's more merciful, more gracious um, than maybe what the law allowed. And so Joseph comes up with this idea. Um, but God has a different plan. So God sends an angel to Joseph in a dream to speak to him. The angel says he calls him the descendant of David, a son of David. So he's reminding David that he's in this family line waiting for the Messiah. The angel says, do not be afraid. 
The angel knows that Joseph is afraid. God knows that Joseph is afraid. And so the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel explains that Mary's not lying. The baby is actually from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel goes on to explain that you will name the baby Yahweh saves, Jesus. That's what Jesus' name means, Yahweh saves, because this baby will rescue his people, save his people from their sins. And it's a way of implying that this baby is God. If Yahweh will save and this baby will save, it's a way of saying this baby is God coming to rescue his people from their sins, which even that is a little bit of a twist. Like Joseph and his peers were waiting for someone to come and rescue them from Rome, not come and save them from their sins. Um, so the angel is explaining, like, God is up to something here, but it might look a little different than what you envisioned. But this baby is from the Holy Spirit. This is a good thing, and you need to not be afraid. Go ahead and marry this girl. And then Matthew goes to make a note here explaining that this actually fulfills a prophecy that happened hundreds of years earlier from Isaiah 7. So anytime the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, you need to stop what you're doing and go read that story, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go look that up. I need everybody to put on your Bible nerd glasses, okay? Got it? Push them up your nose. Everybody ready? Okay, you guys look great in your imaginary glasses. All right. In Isaiah 7, uh, there's a king named Ahaz. He is being attacked by Syria and Israel. Ahaz is king of Judah in the south, and Israel is in the north. Israel and Syria are attacking Jerusalem. Um, and Ahaz and all the people are terrified. The Bible says they're shaking like trees in the wind. They're afraid of the siege, of starvation, of war, um, exile, even death. All of these things are a very real reality um, when, you're, when your city is being attacked back then. So God sends Isaiah to speak to King Ahaz. And Isaiah says this. He says, descendant of David, son of David, do not be afraid. He tells him to stay calm, be alert. And then a little later, Isaiah tells him to remain faithful. God goes on to, ex to ask Ahaz, like, hey, ask me for a sign that this will come true. I'm going to give you a sign. It can be anything crazy. Ask me for it. And Ahaz actually refuses to ask God for a sign. So God says, okay, I'll come up with a sign. This will be the sign that one day a young girl will have a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This was normal back then where a prophet would have children with, like, prophetic names. There's some, um, even later in Isaiah, where Isaiah has children called, like, quick plunder or uh, a few will return, things like that. Hosea also has children like that. And so um, Isaiah is saying, hey, there's going to be another prophetic child born someday whose name will mean God is with us. That's what they'll call him. God is doing something here. If you keep reading in Isaiah 7 and 8, God goes on to explain that this is part of a huge, long plan that he is working on. Like you're afraid right now that these armies are coming and attacking you. But don't worry, in 65 years, these countries won't even exist. Then God explains how Assyria, a different, a different army, will come in and defeat you in Jerusalem. Then you and your family will go into exile after that. And you'll be in exile for a while. But then, don't worry, you'll come all the way back. And then you'll live in this fruitful land with milk and honey. So God's explaining, like, a 200-year journey of, like, 
what he's up to here to Ahaz. Um, so what does Ahaz do with this information? He's been told not to be afraid. He's been told that what he's a part of is part of a bigger plan. But remember, fear often leads to disobedience because obedience is costly. And Ahaz is afraid of what obedience will cost him in this situation. And so he disobeys God. He doesn't remain calm. He does not remain faithful to Yahweh at all. And in fact, he comes up with his own plan to fix everything. Isaiah tells us God's perspective of this battle, but if we go to 2 Kings 16, we can see this story from Ahaz's perspective. And so what Ahaz does, he comes up with like a quick fix. Like, okay, I'm not waiting for your 200-year plan, God. That sounds like a lot. I'm going to come up with my own plan right now that gets me out of this battle that I'm afraid of today. Ahaz actually goes into the temple, takes a lot of the gold and silver out of the temple, goes to Assyria, the, the same king that God said he would use one day to destroy them. He goes to the king of Assyria, and he's like, hey, if I give you all this gold and silver, will your armies come help me and protect me? And the king of Assyria agrees. While Ahaz is in Assyria making that alliance, he also sees they have this big altar to like a pagan temple or a pagan god in their temple. And Ahaz thinks, you know what? We don't have one of those in Jerusalem. I bet that would help too. And so he sends word back home to Jerusalem to build like a, a copy of this version of this pagan altar and put it in the temple. The Bible describes Ahaz as being someone who would worship idols under every tree and on every hill. He's hedging his bets. He's constantly looking for a way that he can fix his problems within his control because he's afraid. The Bible even describes him as sacrificing his own children in the fire, which was a normal practice back then as a way to appease the gods and get what you wanted. And so Ahaz is so ruled by fear that he's even willing to kill his own children so that hopefully he'll be safe in the immediate. So why on earth is Matthew linking these two stories? These stories sound kind of different and random and on a first reading, they do seem unrelated, but the more you read and reread and meditate on Scripture, the more rabbit holes you will fall into. It's really fun. And as you look at these two stories, there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of things that happen in both of them. There's a son of David in both of them. That phrase is used both times. Facing a scary situation, God sends a messenger to both of them, telling them not to be afraid and to obey him in something. And God explains in both times that he's doing something really grand and big and way different than what you thought you needed in this exact circumstance. And then in both cases, God confirms all of this with a sign that he will be with his people. This first son of David responds with a lot of disobedience. Ahaz basically does everything wrong. So how will this second son of David in Joseph respond? How will his reaction, how will his, um, you know, going forward be different than this first king? So I think these stories are kind of supposed to, like, contrast each other. Remember, Joseph is still afraid, and fear often leads to disobedience. But Joseph wakes up, and the Bible says he does what the angel of the Lord told him to do. He marries Mary, and when Jesus is born, he names him Jesus, the same name he was told to. And so he's obedient, 
But this obedience is very costly to Joseph. Uh, Joseph has to flee with his young family all the way to Egypt, um, which would probably be a three to seven day walk. They didn't Uber there. Um, and I don't know if you've ever walked anywhere with a baby. It gets old real fast. So imagine walking all the way to Egypt. Um, and then on top of that, there's multiple times where God will speak to Joseph in a dream and be like, you got to move again. And he'll have to pick up his family without warning and move again. Because a lot of people are trying to kill Jesus even as a baby. He endures a lot of shame. When he takes Mary on as his wife, everybody's going to assume that that baby is his. So a man whose whole reputation and identity was anchored in, he always does what was right. He is a righteous son of David, now becomes the guy who, like, hung out with his girlfriend too much. That's a lot for him to take on, especially in a shame culture uh, society. Luke describes how poor this young family is. Um, and many historians, I keep kicking this. Many historians believe that Joseph probably died between um, when Jesus was about 12 to 30 years old because he's mentioned when Jesus is 12 and then he's never mentioned again. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is likely since Mary is mentioned a bunch of other times and Jesus, uh, Joseph is never mentioned after that, which means that if that's true, if that's when Joseph dies, he lives this costly life of obedience and never even sees Jesus heal anyone or Jesus set anybody free. He never sees Jesus turn water into wine. He never sees Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. He never sees Jesus die. He never sees Jesus rise from the dead. He doesn't see Pentecost. Even Mary is listed in the book of Acts as being a part of that early church. But it's unlikely that Joseph was. And so he lives a costly life of obedience without ever seeing the fruit. God is still speaking to each of us. He is commanding us to do things. But obedience is still costly. And we are afraid. And that's okay. It's okay to be afraid. Fear isn't evil. Um, it acknowledges what we are afraid to lose. And processing our fear is a good thing. Um, it's, it can be helpful to even like Talk yourself through some questions. When you feel anxiety rising up in you, when you feel excuses popping into your head, um, when you feel tense or afraid to obey God in something, it's important to ask yourself, like, okay, what am I afraid of here? What am I afraid to lose? Where am I impatient in this situation? Where am I unwilling to be uncomfortable? Where do I want to be safe? Where did I obey God last time, and it backfired, and I got hurt, and I don't want to do that again? Uh, I want to give a little, like, plug for this book I just read called The Anxiety Opportunity, and it talks a lot from a Christian perspective about spending time unpacking with Jesus all of the things that you're afraid of. So I just want to make that plug. If you feel like, hey, that's something I haven't really done yet, I haven't really spent time processing what I'm afraid of, um, I encourage you to grab that book. I have a few copies if you want to come ask me for them. Our obedience, though, is very costly. Jesus is a beautiful king. He is worth following and submitting to with your whole life. But Jesus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. Sometimes we talk about him that way, like, he's so great. Just make him your king and everything will be great. 
That's not actually accurate at all. Uh, Jesus doesn't talk about following him like that. He talks about him, following him that the road is narrow, that there will be persecution, hardship. You will be beaten, flogged, made fun of. Some of you will even die. That's how Jesus told his disciples following him would look like. But in our discipleship, we like to ignore how costly obedience to Jesus is, and so we just we don't talk about it. We talk about the monopoly side, which the, there's a lot of cool things that come with Jesus. It's awesome, but there's two sides of this. And Jesus does come as our king. He is the anointed king, the Messiah, the Christ that we are waiting for. But we are often waiting for him to come like that warrior. We've been looking for the last few weeks at these images of Jesus changing weapons into instruments of peace, of Jesus coming and bringing complete justice and fairness, of Jesus raising up the oppressed and defending the vulnerable. And Jesus is that king, and he will come back one day and do all of those things and do them perfectly. But we are also in this season of not yet. But often we just want that warrior to come right now and fix our problems, to make our lives comfortable. There's this verse in Revelation 19 that I love. It describes Jesus as having the words King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his thigh. I always think you got to be a tough dude to have a thigh tattoo, okay? And I love that verse. And so often when I'm having a bad day, I want thigh tattoo Jesus to show up and make it better, like now. And in a way that helps me. When work is rough, when my kids are rough, when things are not going my way, when Jesus asks me to do something that's too hard, I want thigh tattoo Jesus to show up on my terms and make it easy for me. But that is not obedience. Obedience is costly. Jesus often comes and invites us to join him in his mission. But Jesus' mission is painful it requires sacrifice, it is costly, and for Jesus, it ended on the cross. I think this is why Jesus told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me, because he knew it would be costly for us too. But Jesus has also promised to be with us. He is Emmanuel. This is who he is. He is our king, but he is not far off, up on some hill or in some castle, and we never see him. He promises to be with us every day as we obey him, no matter the cost. My last nerd thing I want to leave you with is a Greek word. When it talks about Joseph waking up and doing what the angel commanded him to do, the word in Greek is prostaso. It means to, to move closer to the space assigned to you by one in authority. To move closer to the space assigned to you by one in authority. My husband plays an obscene amount of strategy games, okay? And in strategy games, your little person is called a meeple. You guys learned a new word today, meeple, okay? There's a nerd word for you. And when I first heard this Greek definition, that's what popped into my head, that there's a place ahead of me on the board that Jesus has assigned for me, one in authority has assigned for me, and has commanded me to go there and do that thing, and to prostaso, to obey, and to do what I have been commanded to do would be to move closer to that place. Often when we're afraid, we want to run the other way. 
We want to avoid it. We want to not talk about it. We want to pretend we didn't have that dream with the angel. We, some of us, I'm like this, we just want to attack it with a big stick, but I don't want to obey it. And I think for us to be obedient means that we're taking a step closer to that space that Jesus has assigned for us. It's okay to acknowledge our fear. It's okay to come to Jesus and say, here's the 10,000 things I'm afraid of if I obey you in this. But not to let those things, those things you're afraid of, be king. Let Jesus be king. And take a step closer to the thing that he has assigned for you, to the task or the assignment that he has set aside for you, no matter how much it costs. I'm going to pray for us, and I would like to invite you to kind of pray with me um, and think through some things as we pray. Jesus, we ask that right now you would show each of us what is one thing that you are asking us to obey you in. And Jesus, we just acknowledge that we are afraid of doing that thing. Fear is not evil. You are afraid of going to the cross, and you wept and you prayed fervently in the garden to get out of that. And so we come to you as well, and we say, these are all the things we're afraid of if we obey you in this. Jesus, we acknowledge that fear can lead to disobedience, but it doesn't have to. We want to be men and women, teenagers, boys, girls, babies, who obey you no matter what it costs us. So I want you to just picture yourself almost like a little meeple on a game board, moving one step closer to that assignment that one in authority has set aside for you. If Jesus brings a practical step to mind, would you just tell him, I will do that thing. I will have that conversation. I will make that career change. I will give that amount of money that you told me to. I will talk to that kid on the bus who's really weird. Whatever it is, tell Jesus yes. King Jesus, we are so grateful that you are God with us. You came as king, but not to live in a lofty castle far away, but to dwell, to tabernacle amongst your people, to walk around with us every day. We are grateful that you came, and we are grateful that you are coming again. Thank you that as you ask us to obey you, you promise to go with us. We love you, Jesus, very much. Amen.
Amen. Um, let's continue to respond to God's word and how he might be speaking to us. Um, we'll have time of communion, but before we uh, take communion together, we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. So let's do that, uh, affirming, reaffirming our faith uh, in Christ. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to the heavens, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Yeah, as we consider uh, where God might be leading us and taking that next step of obedience, we do it, as Erica mentioned, we do it knowing that God is a good king. Um, he died for us. He displayed the immensity of who he is and his love for us by going to the cross. And so we're going to spend some time as we respond um, taking communion. And um, for those of us who follow Christ, this is a time where we get to celebrate and remember uh, his love for us. And we want to invite you to come and take the cup, pass the bread and the, the juice that reminds us of his sacrifice for us. If you are here just visiting, if seeking, we're so glad you're here with us. We kindly ask you to refrain from the table. So let me go ahead and present the elements to us. And I want to invite us to just spend some time in prayer. Um, continue to pray about those next steps that God might be asking you to take. And whenever you're ready, um, please come. There's a table in the back and table up in the front. Come and take communion. On the night that Jesus was uh, betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink from it for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you're ready, um, yeah, come and take communion. Let's remember his love for us as we consider um, our next steps of obedience. Cast my mind to Calvary, 
thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming to this earth, being a living sacrifice for the gift of salvation. Even in the midst of our fears, anxieties, Lord, we have hope. We have joy. We thank you, Jesus.
as we close, just a couple of things. Um, if you want to receive prayer, this is a great time. So I wanna, I'm going to ask um, our prayer uh, leaders to stay up there. And if you want to receive prayer as we think about Christmas and even, even next year, please go ahead and do that. Um, after the worship is over, I'm going to encourage us to greet one another and look for people who are new or people that you don't know. And so um, let's try to welcome one another well. And then thirdly and lastly, we do have some hot cocoa and cookies out in the lobby. Uh, so please go ahead and enjoy those. Okay, let's pray as we close. Dear God, we confess, even as we are about to leave this place, we confess our tendencies to live like Ahaz, wanting to take control of our own situation and, and not trusting in you and not relying on you and trying to fix our problems with our own resources. Lord, you call us to trust in you in obedience. So as we leave this place, oh God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with faith As we see you and your love for us, no matter what our next steps might be, no matter how difficult those things might be, Lord, we pray that you would give us faith and courage to take those steps. As we leave this place, oh God, fill us with your presence, your spirit. Give us joy that this world can't give us. Give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, walk with us, go with us as you promised. Lord, help us to bless those around us now as we go. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our Heavenly Father and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for coming. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks.